Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. If you are with us yesterday, you know that Jim Garrity is off chaperoning a school field trip to the Gettysburg Battlefield on this sweltering day, so I'm sure he's loving every second of that. I know we might get a, we might get a uh, report on that tomorrow, but uh, Rob Long, contributing editor at National Review Online, co-founder of Ricochet, co-host of the Glob Podcast, host of the Martini Shot. Once again, yeah, I'm busy. What am I doing here? I should be, uh, do, I guess I should be doing something else. I appreciate you making us priority because obviously there are many places you could be right now. So, uh, lots to talk about today. So, uh, let's start with uh, the good martini. And Jim and I have talked about this a lot because there have been polls on this where we see that Latino voters are either very much warming up to the Republican Party. Or they're really souring on the Democratic Party, especially if you look at their approval, disapproval numbers on Joe Biden, or it's a combination of both. Uh, but the latest evidence of this comes to us in an article from Politico today written by Ali Mutnick. And they're looking at a, uh, a special uh, congressional race in Texas where uh, Representative Vela left the seat in, in southern Texas there. Uh, and uh, there's going to be a special election in a couple of weeks. And the article says Democrats already had a South Texas problem that's on the verge of getting worse. Republicans are well positioned to flip former Representative Vela's seat in a special election this summer, a victory that will further reduce Speaker Nancy Pelosi's already minuscule majority and send a jolt of momentum through the GOP's bid to turn the entire Rio Grande Valley red in the midterms. National Republicans have so far pumped in nearly $450,000 on TV to help Myra Flores become their first representative from the region in decades. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and its allies, meanwhile, have stayed out of the contest, preferring to focus on upcoming races in the fall instead. Democratic Representative Vincente Gonzalez, I'm very concerned. The Republicans are all in and they have invested heavily in the district, and this election will certainly test the commitment of the DCCC to the Rio Grande Valley, to South Texas, and to Latino districts in this country. And so, Rob, there's a number of factors here. First of all, I love the fact that Republicans are actually investing hard, making a play at this, expanding the playing field, making uh, every possible pickup uh, a, a really competitive race, and that, that's clearly what they're doing here. Secondly, Democrats, especially along the border, are making it a nightmare for everyone uh, living there with the uh, basically open borders policy that's happening there and hundreds of thousands of people pouring across the border every month. So that national issue is very much a local issue there. And the Democrats are, are pretending nothing's happening. So it's kind of a perfect storm in favor of the Republicans this time. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is a two twin, you know, two twin lessons you can get. One is that Democrats have been relied on this sort of cliche for years and you know i don't know for as long as i've been alive on identity politics that if you if your skin color uh really frankly if, you're, if, if your skin color matches a certain kind of set of pantone paint chips they have on their office wall then you should be a democrat that they just assume that you're a democrat that's how they choose, that's how they pick uh, and when you're not they get kind of miffed about it um i mean ask any black republican how he's treated and he'll tell you it's the, they get really angry when you don't you know, you don't obey the Pantone chips they have on the wall. So the second part is that there's another political cliche that they believe, which is that if you are Hispanic, you want open borders. And that is just demonstrably false. 
it's been this weird belief that and Republicans have had it too for years and years and years, which is that you got to walk softly when you talk about border security, because if you if you act tough at the border, you're going to lose Hispanic Latino voters. That is also not true. Actually, it's a good rule of thumb. I actually think, Greg, that whenever you have someone saying some rule on one of those Sunday morning, you know, political talk shows or pundits, uh, well, let me tell you something. You know, the Republicans are going to lose with Hispanics. Just an alarm bell should go off because it's probably wrong. And it's probably 180 degrees wrong. Um, Usually that's the problem with political cliches. They just they just outlast their welcome or outlast their validity. So these are two really good lessons for all politicians to learn, which is that you sometimes you can connect with voters by connecting on their very, very basic needs. If you live in the on border states, you do not want open borders. It doesn't matter whether you're you know named Gonzalez, or you're named, you know, O'Flanagan. That's just the way it is. So and, and then the third third thing really is that if your party is, is perceived as weird in some way or obsessed with weird stuff, you're going to have a hard time connecting to you know normal Americans, of which some of whom are named Sanchez and some of whom are named, you know, Flores. Which is, and that's the problem with Democrats right now. They, their brand is weird stuff, obsessed with climate change, obsessed with diversity, equity, inclusion, obsessed with all sorts of stuff that if you're just kind of paying $6 a gallon at the gas station or you're, uh, you, you know, you feel like your kids aren't getting a good education, that just isn't, <laughs> doesn't move you to vote. So don't be weird. Don't assume that somebody with a certain skin color is going to vote a certain way. You got to be competitive at all times. And put yourself in the position, not of a politician, but for once of a citizen. Your three core ideas do not include anything about trans education in elementary school. I mean, this is simple stuff, but only smart people could be this dumb. (laughs) That's a a good line. But of course, you know, given the fact that the voters are reacting the way we would like uh, to this, I guess they can keep doing it a little bit longer. Although, as we've often said, a more rational Democratic Party would be good because then if they actually do get power like they do now... They're not totally insane, but uh, in the moment, it's it's a bit of an advantage because the uh, contrast between the two parties right now uh, could not be much stronger. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about our first great sponsor of the day. The Three Martini Lunch is brought to you today by NetChoice. As Americans, innovation has always been what makes us different, and America's tech industry outpaces the world. We have the most innovative companies that power our economy and way of life, and the reason for that, free market innovation. But some in Washington want to put big government in charge of America's top innovators, attacking our own in the name of competition, while our true competitors like Europe and China close the gap. NetChoice believes congressional conservatives must stand for American innovation, not big government, by rejecting progressive antitrust proposals. So they encourage you to tell your senator to oppose Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about this fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. Cancel culture is coming to your bank and holding the wrong political views might soon leave you out in the cold. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest episode of The Bill Walton Show, Todd Zwicky, Paul Watkins, and I discuss what is already happening, how the Biden administration is already pursuing this agenda, and what we can do about it. This progressive culture offensive is relentless. It's coming for you, and you won't hear about this anywhere else. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, let's move to our bad martini now. And uh, 
our very loyal listeners uh, know that I think the last time we were together, we previewed the fact that you were going on a bar crawl in Manhattan to celebrate the end of needing masks to go to those establishments and openly vowing to mock anyone who showed up with masks at those uh, situations. So you can give an update on that if you'd like to. But here's the latest news on this. Literally at the last hour, because remember back in April, uh, the judge lifted the mask mandate right around the time of that uh, most recent uh, expiration date for the mask mandate. I think it was April 18th. But uh, the U.S. Justice Department on Tuesday asked a federal appeals court to overturn a U.S. District Court judge's April order that declared the government mandate requiring masks on airplanes, buses, and in transit hubs unlawful. Hours after the federal judge in Florida declared the mandate unlawful, the Biden administration said it would no longer enforce it. The Justice Department told the appeals court that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention order issued in January 2021 was, quote, within the agency's legal authority. And so, uh, Rob, I, I, I'm seeing that we've got case numbers on the rise. Uh, I don't know that we have hospitalizations or uh, so forth on the rise, uh, which I think is kind of important. So I don't know. Did they go appeals court shopping here in a way that uh, this is actually going to come back? Is the Biden administration headed for another bruising court defeat? What what do you expect here? I was going to say <laughs> they can't be thinking about reinstituting mass mandate. I mean, they're not suicidally stupid. But, uh, you know, who knows? They're doing a lot of stuff in the run up to the to the to the midterms that I do not understand as a casual viewer of American politics. But my guess is this, is that um, they are uh, looking forward. And I think I mean that in both ways, both the idea of thinking about the future and also maybe anticipating it uh, happily to the next big pandemic. And they want to settle this thing once and for all. Because part of the problem the pandemic is and, and the pandemic response was we didn't really know who was in charge. So when you don't know who's in charge, guess who's in charge? The bureaucrats. That's what happens. And that's kind of how Congress passes laws, right? So that they don't really have to do anything. They just kind of pass it off to a federal bureaucrat who does it. That's kind of how we get the most leftward tilt of our government. It's from that. So my guess is that they're just trying to set this up so that the next time this comes, it's very clear from the very beginning that unelected bureaucrats at the CDC have total and complete control over your life. Uh, and there's no ambiguity about it. I just don't think they're trying to reinstitute a mask mandate because hospitalizations are not high. And, you know, even the New York Times is saying, as they did yesterday, that, hey, guess what? Masks don't work. So I think this is less about masks and less about COVID than it is about, you know, COVID-24 or whatever comes next or monkeypox or one of those things. They want to make sure that whatever else happens in the future, they have case law that proves that the people in charge are bureaucrats. Ultimately, that is the dream of every Democrat, is that how, how can we put bureaucrats in charge of everything? How can we have a committee to decide what you eat for lunch? And that I suspect that's what this is about. So in a way, that's actually smart. They're doing exactly what they should do, which is to prepare and look forward to the next uh, battle and make sure they have they you know preset the game so they win it. And traditionally, uh, Republicans and conservatives have been a little bit flat footed on this. So um even though I think pretty sure this is a this is all about the hypothetical, not about an actual mask mandate, it's still a good thing to fight it <laughs> every step of the way. They liked it when we were at home. They liked it when everybody was on Zoom. They liked it. These are not people who like to go out, corrals at bars like all my friends at Ricochet. No, they like it. Stay home. Stay home. And um, if we don't want us to have to stay home, we have to fight. Rob, 
I envision you like Harold Hill at the end of the music man, leading everybody from pub to pub on this uh, bar crawl. Uh, and if I'm wrong about that, I'm not sure I want to know, but uh, well, is, is that, rain, is that I should like? say torrential rain. So the bar crawl ended up being sort of like, we just sort of, we were going to be beautifully out of outside uh, platforms going to be gorgeous, but of course it rained, not just a little bit, but torrentially. So we scooted indoors and the people there were really nice to us. And they gave us a spot where we, we created enormous, trouble for them because they couldn't get bias to serve everybody else and then uh and then the rain kind of let up and then we went to an- another place uh, but it wasn't wasn't a crawl so much as it was a a huddle together in the rain um which doesn't sound fun but actually it was a lot of fun uh well if you like a cold beverage nothing goes better with that than steaks and i gotta tell you with father's day coming up as a dad, I can vouch for this. Here's a little wisdom from Omaha Steaks. Dads want steak. When you give dad perfectly aged and oh-so-tender steaks, you're not just giving him the best meal of his life, but the chance to grill them up and make a memory with you. And right now, Omaha Steaks is uh, inviting you to order the Dads Want Steaks package. For $99, you're going to get 16 mouthwatering entrees that dads are going to love. Like smoky, listen to this combo, Tender bacon-wrapped filet mignon. Can't go wrong there. Gourmet jumbo franks and the air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. And for a sweet finish, the delicious caramel apple tartlets. Plus, on top of all that, eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. So uh, visit omahasteaks.com and type martini in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. You'll get eight of their new, bigger Omaha Steaks burgers absolutely free. And because it's Omaha Steaks, everything is backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. That's omahasteaks.com and then type martini in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. We'll be right back. One thing we learned from the 2020 election is that while the process of counting electoral votes seems straightforward, the rules outlined in the Electoral Count Act of 1887 are vague and antiquated. The vice president does not have the power to change election results unilaterally. Now imagine there's controversy in 2024 and it's Vice President Harris being urged to interpret her role in the process as one where she has the right to determine which electoral votes count because the Electoral Count Act is not specific enough. This is why the Presidential Election Project is raising awareness about this issue, to clearly define the role of the Vice President and to ensure that the role is beyond question. The Presidential Election Project urges you to visit presidentialelectionproject.com and learn more about why reform of the Electoral Count Act is so important. Go to presidentialelectionproject.com and take the first step in ensuring Kamala Harris can't unilaterally decide the 2024 presidential election. That's presidentialelectionproject.com. All right, Rob, on to our crazy martini now. And we debated which uh, which crazy martini to do here. We almost talked about Beto again, but I'm pretty sure Beto's going to give us plenty of opportunities between now and Election Day. We certainly talked about him last week and his uh, stunt during the press conference and so forth. But we decided to go in a slightly different direction today because in academia, really stupid ideas get started. And unfortunately, they don't necessarily stay there. So we're going to call this one out and hope that... Uh, uh, it can get strangled before it gets uh, out there in the common lexicon of the left. But May 25th was the uh, anniversary of the death of George Floyd. And so there was a lot of reflection on that. And uh, Boston University put up some tweets related to this, including a comment 
from one of their professors. It's either Seda Grundy or Saida Grundy. Nonetheless, Professor Grundy, not a fan of property rights. Uh, she's essentially saying here in this clip that since uh, black people were once considered property, that property itself is inherently racist and therefore destroying property, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Here's what she said. If we are gonna talk about George Floyd and really understand it, then we need to understand community reactions to it. And we often hear politicians, we hear civic leaders, from inside black communities and from outside of them as well. We hear President Biden say, you know, I understand your frustrations, but don't destroy property. Well, when you say that to black people who historically have been property, one of our greatest weapons against injustice was the looting of ourselves as property from the system of slavery. And what we see in communities is they're reacting to the very racism of what we call property, right? So that's why I think it's very important for, you know, people who see reactions in communities to not judge and to not make assumptions about what is good and not good reactions and not actually re-victimize communities by saying there's an acceptable and a not acceptable way to react. So, Rob, uh, first of all, none of those people destroying property were ever once in their life considered property, uh, despite the fact that uh, we do have that stain on our history from a number of generations ago. So uh, this effort to excuse billions of dollars in property destruction and uh, perhaps more damaging, uh, adding oxygen to the notion that there's no such thing as private property. Uh, I can see the left uh, getting pretty excited about this. And uh, so the sooner this idea gets smothered, the better. This stuff it can only come from an American university. I mean, normal people just simply don't think this way. But also, I just love the idea that she's conflating everything together. I mean, I guess you could make I mean, I, I don't think you could make this argument, but I, I, I understand that her argument could be made if what you're saying is, hey, protests sometimes get out of hand and there's property destruction and that's bad. Uh, but it's, you know, all in it's part of the protest. Right. The problem, I think, just because somebody lives in New York City and um, I, I saw a lot of uh, activity, she'll say, protest related activity. Um, it wasn't people destroying property. It was people stealing property, breaking into places and stealing things. If property is so fungible, then why were they stealing it? They clearly don't think that, uh, hey, this is uh, your cell phone is my cell phone is somebody else's cell phone. Nobody was stealing things, looting things from stores so to, to pass them out Robin Hood style. I mean, these are people who wanted stuff. They took advantage of a civil unrest. They took advantage of the fact that the police were standing back. They took advantage of a whole bunch of things and they went and they got stuff because they want stuff because people like stuff. Um, and the idea that somehow that because at one point the definition of stuff uh, was uh, skewed and distorted enough to to include human beings, that there's no such thing as stuff anymore, your stuff and my stuff. I did not prepare for this because now I'm wondering, what do you think the tuition at BU is? What If you're a parent or you're, I don't know, you're a federal taxpayer subsidizing student loans, like what are you paying so that this professor at Boston University at an enormous amount of money can spout this nonsense about, hey, there's no such thing as stuff. I mean, does that mean that I can just go to BU and just sit in and go to class, go to class there? Why, why should there be admissions at all? Why should BU have buildings? Why should the, why should anyone have any stuff? So this kind of stupidity, I think, is incubated and nurtured in the universities. And the problem with it is if, it, if left unridiculed and if, left, if those people are left unmocked mercilessly, it does take root. 
So I say mock away. This is one of the stupidest things you can hear. And of course, if you hear something really, really dumb, you know it comes from an American university. $58,072 in tuition. That does <laughs> Thank not you. I was going to say 60. Let's just say, let's round up and say 60 because of inflation. Oh, yeah. $60,000 a year to learn something that is patently, patently untrue and isn't even the way I 100% guarantee you that uh, Saida Grundy, who's the assistant professor at BU's College of Arts and Science, is not the way she views her car. That it's just, hey, listen, it's not even property. It's not. You can take it if you want. It's not the way she lives her life. So, um, again, the way to uh, I think the way forward is just to remind people how they really live their lives. The, the, the shopkeepers, uh, many of whom were African-American all over the country, uh, were not happy that people came and stole their stuff. And the people who came and stole their stuff were not protesting by any means. They were simply taking advantage of a lawless situation to get, uh, uh, you know, new cell phones. I mean, the Verizon store on the corner here on Sixth Avenue, where I live, emptied. I mean, like emptied within like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, smashed open, everything gone. Um, those people could not probably give you an accurate description of who George Floyd was. They just wanted a new cell phone. But that's why that's why these ideas need to be called out. On the one hand, you want to be like, oh, this is so insane. Don't give it attention. On the other hand, can't you see AOC and Bernie saying something like this, you know, after the election? <laughs> Yeah, well, you're exactly. But also remember, this stuff is the kind of stuff that happens. It seems crazy and weird. And then suddenly it's everywhere. It's a good idea to to mock it and ridicule it early because it will come back later. But notice the thing that I mean, on the part I'm reading this is that this is a series of BU official BU tweets. Yes. This is what this is the analysis of those riots and looting events that they are the most proud of. They so sometimes, obviously, right near right when you're conservative, you're a Tucker Carlson producer. You always want to find some obscure, crazy crackpot thing the left did. And then you put it on TV and it's funny and everybody laughs. And then the left says, well, you went hunting for this. We could go hunting for crackpot right wingers. Right. Um, and that's true. But this is something they proudly disseminated. This is something they want people to talk about. So I feel like we should honor that request from Boston University and talk about it and let people know for sixty thousand dollars a year. This is what students are learning that there is no property. Yeah. I would want my money back. Yeah, that's $240,000. Now they claim that uh, most uh, people pay about 30,000 a year after uh, financial aid. That's still $120,000 to turn your kid into a raving leftist. So there are other options, people. Right, right. Other options. <laughs> so <laughs> Rob, uh, let your mind uh, absorb that one and then try to get back to reality. Uh, and I believe you'll be back with us in a couple of weeks uh, while, while Jim is out. So I uh, look forward to that. Talk to you then. Yeah, me too. Me too. Rob Long, contributing editor at National Review Online, a co-founder of Ricochet, co-host of the Glop Podcast, host of the Martini Shot Podcast, leader of the bar crawl in Manhattan. I mean, he does it all, really. Uh, and uh, gr- glad to have him in here for Jim Garrity. Jim will be back tomorrow. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you for the five-star ratings and the kind reviews. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us all on Twitter. Rob is at RCBL. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. 
this week on the Federalist Radio Hour. And the obvious challenge to that is the media blackout. Um, you know, if, if this were in the other direction, if if the, if the if the difference here was um, you know going in the other direction, then it would be nonstop in the same way. In fact, actually, we have a pretty neat case study in this with the Russia hoax itself. It was nonstop coverage from the media that was essentially doing in journalistic gymnastics to fabricate a conspiracy theory. I'm Emily Jashinsky of the Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.